Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and we're in part three of our four-part series where I'm sharing with you breathing mindfulness meditation and helping you build up your practice. In the very first part of this series, I taught you breathing mindfulness meditation and we did a session together to help you get started with your breathing mindfulness meditation practice. In our second part, we did a meditation together and opened up to any questions that you guys might have had. And now in our third part, we're going to do it exactly the same way we did the second class where we're going to do meditation together and then open up to any questions that you guys might have. This is a time for us to come together to support, encourage, and motivate each other in our meditation practice. So I'd like to welcome all of you and invite you to join for meditation. And then afterwards, we'll open up to any and all questions that you guys might have. So if you guys like to go ahead and take a position, either seated, lying, or standing, and just get the body comfortable, not luxurious, and not painful, but just comfortable. You're not interested in the body being painful, where it's just sending pain to the mind throughout your meditation session, and you're not interested in it being luxurious because the mind will have a tendency to turn off. Instead, you're looking for that middle where the body is comfortable, but not painful and not luxurious. So the lower body, if you're sitting on the floor, you might have a cushion under your rear. That helps to get your angle at your hips, your knees, and your ankle to be lessened so that now you don't have a real sharp angle and you can have more circulation in your legs. The hands and the arms, the Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together and then put that into his lap. If that's comfortable for you, you can use it. But there's other options as well, like putting your palms on your thighs, your knees, your palms up. If you're in a chair, you might even put the arms on the armrest of the chair. Next, you would like to get the body nice and erect. That keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation because this is a dedicated, active, purposeful training session and you're interested in having the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. So with the upper body erect, next just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here you're just establishing the breath. Breathing in, in, out. Breathing in, in, out. I'm going to do some chanting to ease us into meditation. If you know these chants, you're welcome to chant along. And then I'll be back after the chants in order to provide some more guidance in the meditation. Ara, huh? 
just establishing the breath, breathing in gradually through the nose, experiencing the full breath, and breathing out gradually through the nose, establishing a nice natural breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Once the breath is established, start fixating the mind on the sound of the breath. The breath is the present moment. You can fixate the mind on the sound or the sensation of air moving into the nose. 
Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in. In, out. Your breath isn't going to necessarily match up to the guidance that I'm providing. Wherever you get to the inhale, just breathe in gradually, fixating the mind on the breath. And wherever you notice that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in. In, out. When there's a thought, no need to judge it, observe it, label it, analyze it, or even try to figure out where it's coming from. Instead, just cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in. In, out.
make your way out of meditation. As you guys are coming out of meditation, I'll just remind you of a few things. First off, the chanting that I'm doing, I'm going to teach this to you guys in about six weeks. Once we finish the four-part series on breathing mindfulness meditation, then we'll do a four-part series on loving-kindness meditation, and then we'll do a four-part series on the chanting to help build you up with that as well. But since the meditations are most important, that's why we're starting with those rather than starting with the chanting. And then the second thing I would like to remind you guys is in breathing mindfulness meditation, remember that we're not trying to eliminate thoughts. That's not the goal of this meditation. We're arising mindfulness or awareness of mind we're arising concentration, being able to focus on a fixed object like the breath. And we're eliminating the craving, desire, attachment. Because back to the Four Noble Truths and Right View, if you remember, 
one of the major problems with the unenlightened mind is that it's craving permanence. It's holding on to things very tightly. So as you're in meditation and you know that there's a thought that comes up and then you're able to cut that off and let it go and come back, essentially what you're doing over repeated sessions is training the mind to easily let go easily let go let go let go so you're doing this you know 20 50 100 times per session each time your mind is moving off the breath you're cutting that off letting it go and coming back so you're gaining this mindfulness or awareness of mind where you know that there's a thought you're gaining concentration where you're focused on the fixed object like the breath bringing the mind into the present moment and you're training the mind to easily let go so that you can eliminate craving, desire, attachment. And this is going to be vitally important when we study this Sunday, the mental discipline section of the Eightfold Path, because I'm going to explain to you there why we're doing it this way and why the Buddha taught it this way. You'll see how this plugs into the Eightfold Path as part of the mental discipline where you're gaining control over the mind. And it'll make a whole lot of sense to you if it doesn't already. You'll see there when we talk about right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, why it is that you need to cultivate these qualities through meditation so that then you can have them available to you in daily life. So I'm going to open things up to any questions that you guys might have. Remember, you can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that and be sure your question gets asked during the class. Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. Yes, thank you, sir. On YouTube, Michael Jenkins asks, at your level of experience, how much noise distraction around you can you still meditate with? Because being a novice, I'm easily perturbed with sounds of the outside world. Yeah, so this is normal, Michael, that sounds are bothering the mind because it's craving silence, right? You need to let go and realize that these sounds are impermanent and that they're not permanent. So you can train the mind to not be affected by the sound. You know that it's there, you're aware of it, but you don't allow it to shake up the mind. So whenever you hear that sound, and the mind is moving off the breath, just cut that off and let it go. Know the sound is impermanent and bring the mind back to the breath. As you get more and more training, maybe three months, six months, a year under your belt, and your mind is coming into a lot more peacefulness as you're moving through the training, what I will encourage you to do later is to actually put the mind in situations where there are things like sounds and different locations and things like this because just like the mind craves permanence and it wants permanence, it's wanting that permanent quietness. Or wherever you're meditating now, if you're meditating in the same place all the time, it's going to get attached to that. It's going to crave that. So as you're building up your meditation practice for the first four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, maybe even longer, you do whatever you need to do in order to get your meditation practice established. But once you start noticing that the mind is coming into some peacefulness and you're seeing these longer and longer gaps of peacefulness and joy in the meditation as you're training the mind, then you would like to challenge the mind by putting it in situations where there is noise and there is a different environment. There is different lighting. Maybe you go to a park. Maybe you go try to meditate in a mall or something like this. I've actually seen monks in Thailand 
Ocean on a rocking boat sitting on top of an engine compartment that was rumbling and shaking and vibrating and the smell and there's lots of people on the boat. So you can challenge your mind in these different places, but this isn't the right time to do that. So just know that those sounds you're experiencing are impermanent you'll be able to bring the mind back to the breath and just work with the mind. Don't try to force it at this point, right? You're not trying to force the mind. You're just trying to almost kind of coax it back to the breath. And then more and more those sounds won't disturb the mind. For me, I've done all of these different challenges in different places where I've challenged the mind. So I can meditate anywhere, anytime. In fact, the temple where I teach, there's a window right by the seat where I sit and there's a road there that cars go by every once in a while or loud motorbikes or things like this. So it's actually really good to meditate in places where there are some sounds because if you meditated in a place that was fairly quiet, your mind would get used to that and it would crave that, it would get attached to it. So having a bit of sound like that every once in a while is actually helpful for the mind so that it doesn't crave permanent sound. Right now, it sounds like your mind is craving that and that's why you dislike when there is a sound. But more and more, you'll get used to just observing that the sound is impermanent and just keep bringing the mind back to the breath and don't be shaken up by it. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. um, I see Marcy has her hand raised. Let's go to her from her question, please. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Teacher David. So I have like a, a two-part kind of question. I'm finding that when I'm meditating, that there's a there's times where I almost, um, like I kind of come out of my meditation because I can feel that my mind starts to drift and then I find my body position is incorrect. So what I have been doing is I just kind of readjust my body position and go back in. And I'm not sure if that's what I should be doing or once I kind of come out of it, if I'm just kind of coming out of it and that's it. Like, you know what I mean? Or should I be going back in, adjust my position and going back into the meditation? So that's the first part. Yeah, that's fine. If you're noticing that you need to come out because of the body position or what have you and then go back in, that's completely fine. You know, ideally, you'll be able to get into meditation and stay all the way through. But if you need to adjust the body or you need to adjust the hands or anything like that, go for it. You know, do that and then just go right back into it. This is the impermanence of your meditation and seeing that your meditation is impermanent as well. There were times where I would start meditating and my plan was, of course, to meditate for 30 minutes and I'd be meditating and three minutes into it, my son would walk in and say, hey, dad, I need you to take me to school. I was like, really? Um, I thought your mom was taking you. He's like, so did I. She's gone. <laughs> you know. So if you're attached to meditation, you're going to be discontent in that situation too. So this is good training for you to see your meditation is impermanent so that you don't get fixed and attached to it. And then um, the other, this, the second part to my question is, is that I'm starting to experience where I feel a lot of frontal lobe um I want to call it pressure like you know what i mean like frontal lobe pressure mm -hmm. and when i feel this i start to arise like these very like joyful like elated kind of feelings and i know that equanimity is important so i kind of try to bring myself back to the middle but is is that something that um does occur during meditation and that's normal i i guess i don't even i guess the question is, is it normal <laughs> Yes, this is completely normal. What we're doing is we're training the mind 
which is not the brain. The brain and the mind are two separate things. There's this intangible mind that it's not tangible. You can't physically touch it. And then there's this brain that is something you can physically touch. Everything the Buddha taught is all about training the mind. But there's this connection between the mind and the brain. And nowadays, 2,500 years later, there's doctors, researchers, scientists who are researching the effects on the brain through training the mind. And they can see that there's significant improvements to the condition of the brain as somebody's training the mind. And the things that the Buddha taught about getting to like the jhanas and the first stage of enlightenment and beyond and so forth, all of these things are now being proven through technology like MRIs and CAT scans and other things like this. So as you get further into your training as you are, you and those students who are listening to this, you might notice some physical changes that are happening to the brain, either while you're in meditation or even outside of meditation. You can sometimes hear it. You can feel it. Uh, you can have these sensations of joy and, and bliss that are starting to come into the mind. This could be the mind starting to enter into what we call the jhanas, which we're going to be talking about two Sundays from now. Actually, it's this Sunday now that I think about it, which are these four preliminary phases that the mind goes through before it reaches into the first stage of enlightenment. So this joy and this bliss that starts to come into the mind, it's directly related to clearing more and more pollution out of the mind. And then as you're doing that, it affects the brain and there's physical changes that are happening to the brain. So that's why you're feeling that sensation. And when you feel that joy come into the mind, if it's towards the end of your meditation, you can let that kind of permeate and let that fill up in the mind but you're not looking for it to go uncontrolled. So if you're feeling like it's getting too heightened, yes, you can cut that off, bring it back, and bring the mind more into equanimity. So you can observe that if you're noticing too heightened of bliss or joy, it's coming up too strong, then yes, you would like to cut that off and bring it back because the mind can kind of unravel a bit. You know, it sounds strange cutting off and letting go of these pleasant feelings, or these are conditioned pleasant feelings or this joy, but this is what you need to do in order to kind of temper it and bring it to the middle so that then it'll just always be there. If we let it go too far in the extreme and it's not in the middle, then it's going to only be temporary and it's gonna eventually fade away. But by gaining this control where you observe the joy, and you see the mind maybe going too far into it and you cut it off and let it go, bringing the mind back to the middle, this is where you now can gain this control and inner discipline of the mind. And now that joy will be more and more available to you all the time. It'll be permanently there rather than going to this excess. All right, thank you, teacher. You're welcome. Yes, thank you, sir. Um, I see that Colduin has his hand raised. Let's go to him for his question, please. Okay, greetings, sir. How are you? Very good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, so my question is, uh, sometimes you need to skip one session or one day without meditation because you feel busy or you have to travel from somewhere to anywhere. Uh, my question, will that uh, affect uh, the process or like that? It will affect you. So where possible, you're not interested in skipping days. I mean, obviously there is going to be that occasionally happening, maybe once a month, once every two months or something like this, 
where when you're building up your meditation practice, it might even happen more frequently than that. But what you would like to do is build in the consistency. Your enlightenment isn't going to be determined whether you miss meditation on one particular day or another. Instead, if you can build up a practice over the next two or three years to consistently meditate long term, that's what's going to determine if somebody actually makes their way to enlightenment or not. So if you miss a day here or there, it's understandable. You know, it's going to happen. It's impermanence. But where possible, you would like to not miss it just because you're active with something else. What you would like to do is try to create more and more space in your life where you can meditate regularly, even if you're on a bus or a plane or in a car or you need to pull over somewhere and meditate. Or if you're in an office, sometimes I used to go into the bathroom and sit on the toilet with my clothes on and actually meditate for five, 10 minutes. Sounds kind of silly, but that's what I had to do in corporate world when I was in the corporate world to actually meditate. And there's other situations like that where you might just be able to find some time to carve out for yourself to actually meditate. So where possible, try not to miss your meditation, but just know that it probably will occur occasionally and just look at it as impermanence and just get right back into it the next day. And remember that you're focused on the two, three, four, five, six years of meditating. You're not necessarily going to beat yourself up because you missed one meditation or something like that. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, sir. Yes, thank you, sir. Uh, I see that Tonka has her hand raised. Let's go to her question, please. Thank you, Miranda. Teacher David, I have a question uh, about babies and young children. I have nine-month-old granddaughter, and she seems to be very happy and smiles a lot, but she's very, very restless. You can't hold her even for a moment. She wiggles out and she wants to be on the go all the time. And uh, soon we have to travel on the plane and everybody's worried how are we gonna have her to sit down? Like, so I was wondering if she was born with a lot of craving and what would be the best way um, to kind of handle that kind of behavior with very young children like her? Sure. Yeah, it does sound like there may be a fair amount of craving there. There's a few things you can do is remember it's gradual training, gradual practice and gradual progress. So even at nine months, you can be on the floor with them or wherever they're most comfortable and kind of show them a picture book and have them or you to kind of flip through the pictures. So it keeps them in one spot and they're kind of looking at pictures, but they're doing something. They're flipping pages. So this can be helpful for them or as they're walking and maybe you're walking down the street and holding their hand or I guess she's not quite walking yet or you know she's in a stroller you can be moving and then you can stop and you can look at something and say look at that and you can just kind of talk to her like that is such a beautiful tree do you see how the branches move up and then there's a leaf and now there's a flower you can kind of like talk to her and kind of capture her attention and she's needing to listen to you and focus on you talking as you're explaining something to her. So even at this age, you can do that kind of thing. And then when you notice that there's something where she might be getting ready to get discontent, like maybe she's gonna cry or be sad or something like that, you can redirect her mind. So sometimes when you're playing with children on the floor or they're doing something else, before they actually start crying, they get one of those you know ugly faces where they're like, 
and you know the cry is coming, but it hasn't come into the mind yet. It's just a bodily sensation where you see that facial expression coming that they're getting ready to cry. You can redirect their mind. You can say, is that a cloud outside? Look at that beautiful cloud. Or is that a bird? What is that? I don't even know what kind of bird that is. And you're not interested in lying, of course. So that's why you just pick something that's out there. It's like, you can even say, is that a squirrel? You know, even though you didn't see any squirrel, you can say, is that a squirrel out there? What is that? You know, and then this redirects their mind. And, and then you can even pick her up and take her over to the window or things like this. So a combination of these kind of things can start getting the craving to reduce more and more. And then over time, you can see a bit more of the restlessness coming out. But children are going to have a certain amount of restlessness. But these are some things you can do to start helping it calm down a bit. Okay, thank you, teacher David. Mm -hmm. You're welcome, ma'am. Yes, thank you, sir. I see that Marcy has her hand raised. Let's go to her question. Thank you again. Um, this question just actually came to my mind because it was something I experienced last night. So uh, last night I did my meditation and I, after the meditation, I couldn't really fall asleep. And usually I'm pretty good at falling asleep, but um, I've got like a lot kind of on my plate right now that I'm going through. So I saw, found myself cycling through all of these like what ifs. So then I got up and I sat down instead of doing a lying meditation, I sat and, and did like a sit up meditation. I felt, you know, I let them, I let myself go for as long as I could. I came out of it and I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to bed. I went to back to bed and it started all over again. So literally last night, I probably maybe got like maybe three hours of sleep. I don't feel tired. I don't feel whatever, but I did a lot of that, you know, laying down, oh, go back to meditation, laying down, oh, go back to meditation. Am I functioning off of a craving or am I nurturing my mind? That was my question. Yeah. So what you're experiencing when you're laying down to go to sleep and there's all those thoughts that are coming, this is the mind being obsessed and having craving and longing and yearning and thinking about the future and all the things that, you know, you're going to be doing in the future or things that happened in the past. So that's why is that where you see that occurring, you can try to get a handle on that, you know. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes while you're lying in bed, trying to focus on the breath and try to cut those things off and let them go. But where that's not happening, it's wise to get up and don't let the mind just sit there and ruminate and be obsessed in the bed. Get up, walk around, you know, go do something else in the house, whether it's meditation, that's wise, you know, you can do some meditation and then go back and try again. And then same thing, if you're noticing 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, the mind's still doing this and you can't cut it off, you can't cut it off, get up again, right? Eventually you're going to get to the time where you can sleep because these obsessive thoughts are not permanent. Uh, you know, these cravings are not permanent. They will eventually, you'll be able to let them go. So this is normal that uh, unalighted mind is going to have craving, desire, attachment. It's going to potentially have difficulty sleeping. But as you awaken more and more and you reduce the pollution, you won't have this where you'll be able to just lay down. It'll be like when you were a child, you could lay down and just fall asleep at the drop of a hat pretty much. But as you're working up to that, you're going to have these experiences. And then as you're getting closer and closer to enlightenment and all these cravings and stuff are starting to bubble up into the mind, you're going to experience sometimes where you have very minimal sleep, like what you have, like the three hours of sleep right now. But because of the enlightenment factor of energy, which you've learned, I think, Marcy, you can have that 
not be affecting you the way that you did in the past where like maybe in the past if you got three hours of sleep you'd be grumpy you'd be irritable you'd be you know (laughs) talking to people in unskillful ways where now you've trained your mind a bit more and you've got this enlightenment factor of energy where even though you've only slept for three hours the mind is still attentive it's still alert you know not to be grumpy with anybody you know to not be unskillful you're not in a bad mood and you just know like okay tonight i'm going to get some sleep you know sleep is impermanent there's going to be nights where you sleep less and there's going to be some nights where you sleep more this is just the impermanent nature of our sleep and this is part of the process of awakening that you'll see that your sleep schedule will become somewhat erratic sometimes there'll be periods of weeks where you just sleep really soundly really deeply getting great quality of sleep but then as these cravings are kind of bubbling up to the surface and you're having to deal with them cut them off let them go and get them out of the mind you can have these periods where you're just getting a little bit of sleep but this is a good time for you to practice to maintain right intention right speech right action and arise that enlightenment factor of energy where you're not allowing the mind to be grumpy and irritable. Thank you so much, Teacher David. That was most beneficial for me. Thank you. You're welcome, ma'am. It does not appear that there are any other questions at this time, sir. Okay. Well, thank you all for joining, whether you're attending live in one of the various places that we broadcast to or whether you're listening to this on the replay. I'd like to thank all of you for your dedication to learning and practicing these teachings. We've got one more class like this that we're going to be doing next week on Wednesday, which will be the fourth part of this four-part series before we move into loving-kindness meditation. And what I encourage you guys to do is during the week is work on building up your breathing mindfulness meditation practice because we're going to be adding to this when we get to loving kindness meditation. You'll see that breathing mindfulness meditation is part of the loving kindness meditation. So you've got these weeks to kind of gradually build up your practice. And wherever you are is where you are. If you're doing once a day for five minutes, then okay, that's where you're at. Work on gradually building that up. If you're doing twice a day for 15 minutes, okay, that's where you're at. Work on gradually building that up. And just know that you're working towards two or three for 30 minutes or more. But you're not necessarily going to be at that at the four-week mark. I've seen some students that will take six months or a year to build up to that. So wherever you are, that's where you are. You're not comparing yourself to anybody. There's no measuring stick. There's no judging one person to another. This is your independent journey. So you just work on whatever you need to work on and identify the areas of improvement and just know where you're headed with this to two or three sessions per day for 30 minutes or more. But it's going to take you time to gradually build towards that. And then this Sunday, we're going to be in our third part of our three-part series on the Eightfold Path. Here I'm going to be sharing with you the mental discipline section of the Eightfold Path. We're going to be studying right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. This is where you're going to, at that point, have seen the entire Eightfold Path. And you'll be able to put it all together and see how this is all working together to actively train the mind in meditation, yes, but outside of meditation, there's things that you're doing to train the mind as well. Like we talked this past Sunday about right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Those are all things you're doing outside of meditation. So meditation is highly important. You wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without meditation, but you'll need more than just meditation to get to enlightenment. And then this Saturday, we're actually restarting our Pali Canon and English study group. This is a program that's a year and a half 
long and typically students will take the group learning program first at least once maybe even more times before they move into the polycanon and english study group but some students like to take these at the same time it depends on how much time you've got if you have six or ten hours a week to dedicate to this then maybe you might decide to do both at the same time but you shouldn't put pressure on yourself to do that because this group learning program really lays down a really nice foundation and a nice framework for you. It's a seven month program. And like I mentioned, some people like to take it more than once and then move into the Polycanon and English study group. On Saturdays, we do meditation together and then we do the Polycanon and English study group. So some people might even just choose to join just for the meditation if you like, and then leave if you like, it's up to you. You don't need to stay for the whole class. It's the same exact time, it's 9 p.m. Thai time on Saturday. So Sunday and Wednesday is the group learning program and Saturday is the Polycanon and English study group. The Polycanon is the original source teachings of the Buddha. So this is where we study his discourses word by word by word and I go through and teach it to you over a year and a half. This first program of the group learning program is volume one of the book series and we go chapter by chapter. That's over a seven month period. The Polycanon in English study group that starts this Saturday or is restarting on this Saturday, that one's a year and a half. And we go through volumes two through 13, the whole rest of the book series. So the, that'll be happening well, well, well long into the future. So you're not missing anything if you don't do that program now. So if you would like to just stick with the core fundamental teachings, that's the group learning program and that's what you're doing. So wonderful. And then just know that there's this other program that you might decide to move into at some point. So once again, thank you all for joining. We'll see you guys in one of these future classes. Have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.